Today we have Joe Mock. Now, most of y'all probably seen Joe Mock on Facebook. He's all over it all the time. But this guy, he's up in Chicago, super smart. Uh, he's going to talk about some sourcing, about some turn, about why or why not to open that second lot, hiring buyers, and talk about some major lenders. But I really think that uh, you need to, to sit back, listen to this, and uh, take a lot of what Joe says to heart. He's a really smart guy. It's great. He's a wealth of knowledge. He's been around it for a while. He knows how to get cars. I mean, he's an expert in that industry of sourcing. Um, small disclaimer, we have a little bit of an audio issue with Joe, so it's not your podcast acting up. It's just our internet streaming. Also, I'd like to thank everyone who's subscribing to the podcast. The success, the listenership has been off the charts, completely blowing away any of our expectations of what we thought we would do with this podcast. So, Really appreciate everyone. If you're subscribed, great. If you're not, subscribe. Share it with your friends. Well, share it with your dealer friends that would be interested in the content um, and get it out there. It's, it's a great thing. Welcome to the Independent Dealer Podcast, the podcast for auto dealers to learn and grow together. Here are your hosts, Luke Godwin and Jeff Watson. Well, so tell me this, Joe. What? So what? What's your like? Uh, what is your nine to five? What do you do? I mean, is it is it the turn app? Is it do you have a dealership still? What do you do? Yeah, so I still have the store, G Motor Cars. Okay. Uh, we, we had two stores. Um, we're, we're down back to one. Uh-huh. Um, we thought we could take the success that we had at one store and apply it to uh, another store that was about uh, 30, 40 miles away, mm-hmm. and it didn't work. It was in a more rural area. Mm. Uh, and uh, it just it, we just saw all the buyers still flocking to the one main store. Even so, though they, they would drive 30 miles away just under the impression that that was a better place or better deal? or You know, I, I couldn't figure it out. Um, hmm. The area we're in, like I said, was just kind of, kind of like a dead area. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought there used to be a Chevy store there. Mm-hmm. They went out of business after 100 years, so I thought that there'd be a good, still a good following going to that location. Mm-hmm. Then there was a used car store that went in over there and they uh, went out of business. I just wonder if some of those two stores kind of plagued us. I don't know. Um, but, um, you know, so I did, I, I did what uh, the advice of a franchisee told me. He said, Joe, do a lease for two years. Yeah. Test it out before you purchase the building. Mm-hmm. I was, I was like, and you know, hmm. hour twenty-three, ready to sign the line to, to purchase. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said to the to the building owner, I said, "You know what? A little birdie told me I should probably lease this for two years. Mm-hmm. Try it out." And he was he was cool with it. And that was probably the best advice I ever got. Because you'd be sitting on a purchase right now, trying to sublease it to someone else. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah. That's you, Joe. That's seriously eye-opening i spent all last week in a city about 30 miles to the north of me looking at property because we get a lot of customers from that neighboring city and so i just keep thinking like man we need to have a presence there we need to have an actual lot and this piece of land came up that was a good deal and i'm like oh we could build it out and do this and this and and then i started leaning more towards a lease like i should probably just lease somewhere and kind of feel it out you know yeah, talk talk to Jody Midget about it. <laughs> he'll tell you. He'll he'll tell you. You know, he's got a he's got an awesome operation. Mm-hmm. Um, he expanded into a second one, and um, I believe that he's got it for sale, or it was a sale pending on it. Um, Steve Whitmore did the same thing. 
Um, you know, it, it's, huh. I, don't know, I don't, I don't know. I don't have a crystal ball. There, there's plenty of success stories there. I mean, so, yeah. Yeah. But I don't, huh. I couldn't, I couldn't put it together. Um, so that's what my thoughts are. Is it better for me with this neighboring town? They're about 30 minutes away on the freeway. We get a decent amount of business from their customers. There's no buy here, pay here. They totally like when you look at the DMV registrations compared to the sales in the county, it's totally out of whack. But then I just keep thinking, do I need a physical presence or do I just need a digital presence? And maybe that's a better future. Like I don't need to be in all these small communities. I just need to have a program set up where those people can buy it online, feel confident that they can drive the 30 minutes, pick up their car and go home. Or vice versa, yeah. I can deliver it to them 30 minutes yeah. away. Or yeah. Bingo. You think that's a better, I mean, is that, is that the way it's going anyways? It, it is, and it's also less overhead for you. Um, better, in my opinion, better quality of life because you don't have to manage. You know, the toughest part of this business is not the consumers, it's not the financing, it's not finding cars. In my opinion, it's the employees. <laughs> That's what I found. I found that managing people is, is is more difficult than I ever anticipated. When I started this business as a one car, one one person operation, I had total full control of everything that went on. I had control of what was said to a consumer or a customer. Um, my word is gold bond. Um, my promises are my promises. Now I have to honor everybody else's promises that they don't even follow through. Um, I've had to deal with theft at the other store I've had, because I was at one store and not the other one. So um, th there's ones who are cut out for it. Uh, I may not be cut out for that. Um, I often ask myself how Ray Kroc did it. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, how is, how is McDonald's, you know, obviously that movie is uh, Ray crack is incredible but um it is if you're going to open another operation can you see me can you hear me okay yeah you got some crappy internet there uh joe all right is it better now well it's just your internet freezes every once in a while okay um get get somebody involved and have them put some skin in the game some of their own money mm. and uh they'll then they'll they'll truly treat the place like it's their own um mm. and that's probably what the success of mcdonald's and Dunkin' Donuts and 7-Eleven is, you know, these guys have their own money in it. So. Well, it, it can be done. Um, and I think what I have seen, where I've seen failures, where I, and I'm not, I'm not putting this on you, Joe, because I wanted to, I wanted to open up another location as well. And uh, Alexa, who is, uh, is my sounding board on most of these things, uh, she's the voice of reason a lot of time. You know, as, mm -hmm. as entrepreneurs and as car dealers, we think we can do anything. Right. And, if you if you're not maximizing the location you have currently, and if you don't have the processes, procedures, and people in place at your current location, there's no way you can duplicate it. And until you have enough employees where you have a management team and you have layers, it's never going to work having a new location. Um, and the people I've seen do it that are successful at it, uh, Steve Matthews uh, has three locations, um, and I and I don't think he had his second definitely his third location until he had over 50 employees 50 60 employees um because at that point you have levels of of who deals with what and your processes and procedures are already in place um and then we go to freeman motor company 
you got Marshall and Eric, who, in my opinion, are two of the, the best minds when it comes to the independent space um, that, you know, they had, I think, almost 80 employees before they even ventured into the second location. Right. And their, their second location hadn't been open that long. Um, but it's uh, without, without those layers and without everything run properly, it just doesn't work um, because I can't do it all. Right. Joe Mott can't do it all and Jeff Watson can't do it all, especially when you spread it out over 30 miles. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, it's true. And I, I go back to that a lot, man. I'm like, we're not maximizing where we're at now. That no. was, that, that was Alexa's main, number one thing when she brought it up to me. Cause I wanted to go to um, a place that's about 40 minutes away. Um, I thought there were some real advantages to being over there. And she asked me one day, she said, what should, the current dealership do. I said, it should do 40 to 50 units a month. And she goes, well, how many are we doing? And I said, well, 30. She goes, what are we talking about? And why are we even, why are we even approaching that subject? Right. I got you. Mm -hmm. That was smart. Hmm. Yep. Okay. Well, good side, good side conversation, but <laughs> probably split that off for another episode sometime. Yeah. yeah. Second mm -hmm. locations. But, uh, besides the store, um, Turn is still is coming around. Uh, actually, today uh, we launched the desktop app, um, ah. which uh, uh, I was just on before we logged on here, and it, it was pretty pretty slick. We can go on how many that. cars are you selling a month on there, uh, or how many cars are being sold a month? Uh, I don't have the exact numbers on it. It's not real high because we kind of toned back on the advertising and pushing it out until the desktop version was uh, available. We thought that the app version would be um, the way to go, but we found that the users were finding it difficult to uh, do their research and um, navigate through it. Uh, we found that the desktop is better for, uh, for managers and whoever's buying the cars because they're sitting at a computer during the day, um, and what they'll do is they'll research it, they'll watch list it, and then when it runs, then they'll go on their app and purchase it there. So uh, we really scaled back. I'm kind of pushing out. I haven't done, I haven't really advertised or talked about it. Uh, we were going to launch at NIADA in, in uh, Orlando, not Orlando, in Vegas. Uh, we did scale that back. We're probably going to schedule uh, a, a launch somewhere in um, uh, Chicago for the uh, fall session. NABD. NABD. Hey, Joe, you know, we're talking about your, your auction app turn and I, um, let, let's, have you, you know, your, your background is, is, um, money managing, right. Mm -hmm. Um, or wall street type type of background. And, um, in this space that you've got into is in my opinion, kind of crowded almost what, um, what makes turn better and why did you decide to get into that space when, when I believe it's, it's getting kind of crowded and, and you got some really big hitters in that place. Cox is there, Odessa's there and, uh, and ACV would just be, you know, just be a couple of them. Yeah. You know, um, I got into it really to begin with, uh, when I felt that the, that ACV and trade rev was kind of shunning out the independent dealers. Um, I thought they sh there should be a platform for the, independent dealers to have a level playing field along with the franchisees of selling their inventory um, and uh, mostly selling the inventory. 
but what this kind of grew in, kind of turned into was, well, the independent auctions, which there's over a hundred of them in the country, were looking for a platform to put their inventory on to, to compete with a trade rev, to compete with a ACV, compete with um, an OVE. Uh, OVE is not really like an ACV or a trade rev, in my opinion. It's well, that's I think, kind of I think Mannheim Express is going to be their their deal there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it still doesn't incorporate the independent auctions, which which our meeting or our, our podcast is to talk about inventory sourcing and acquiring vehicles. And um, you have to have a bunch of different avenues in order to acquire the inventory. Don't just look at a trade rev. Just don't look at a, uh, an ACV. Don't just look at a turn. Don't just look at a Mannheim Express. You got to look at them. You got to search through them all. Uh, you got to find that diamond in the rough and uh, don't be limited to just one spot. Um, so yes, that, that field is crowded, but there, we do feel that there's an opportunity within the independent auction world um, uh, to showcase some of their inventory, um, just like uh, uh, Mannheim and, and, and Odessa and, and uh, Trade Rep. Very good. Well, and, and speaking of, since we're since you brought it up, um, inventory sourcing. So you sell what sixty to eighty cars a month, something like that. Yeah, that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. So if we're if we're not that big, and we're having to source thirty cars a month, um, maybe forty cars a month, you know, what's the difference between the the people sourcing those cars and and then sourcing double? And how you know? Where all do you buy? Well, I don't, you don't have to give us all your secrets, but um, you know, how far out do you buy? You use different buyers to do that. How are you getting it done? Um, well, the, secrets. I no secrets here. Um, we, <laughs> yeah, we've seen you on Facebook. Yeah, um, we don't. We definitely, like I said, we definitely don't limit it to one platform. We don't limit it to Odessa, Mannheim. Um, America's auto auctions or any of the independent auctions. Um, we really scour the, uh, uh, the, the, uh, the portals, um, nightly. I have a, I have a guy named Mike who works for me. He's a buyer. Um, and he's, he's a, he's a computer geek. And I mean, he's on at night looking all over the place, um, for inventory. And you ask distance, distance doesn't matter to me. It can go from California to South Carolina, down to Florida, up to Connecticut. Um, Washington State's about the only state we don't buy out of. Um, we buy out of Texas. We buy, uh, we don't buy out of New Mexico. We don't buy out of South Dakota or North Dakota because trucks don't run through there. There's not a lot of trucks going through there. So we buy from areas where, where transportation is readily easy. Um, and, and we know it's, it's pretty simple to get back and forth. Uh, we do have a buyer in Florida. Um, we have one in Orlando, one in Tampa, one in Miami. Hmm. Um, and, uh, oh, and one in Nashville. And what I found is, uh, some, some, actually some customers of ours, uh, who've retired and moved and say there was a CarMax auction in, in the, in the city that they're moving to or the state, I'll fly down there and they're completely, they've never been in the car business. As a matter of fact, uh, the guy in Nashville is an uh, ex-cop, uh, or retired cop, not ex-cop, retired cop. And I went down there, and I spent the day with him 
showing him the things that I care about on a vehicle. I'll give him the numbers. I'll, we'll give him the numbers of what we want to spend on the vehicle. I just need him to be the eyes, the ears, and the, and the bidding, obviously, for CarMax because you, they don't have simulcast. And, uh, you know, we pay him 200 bucks a car, and he's retired. That's side money, and he, he loves it. And it, it, it affords us to get some inventory, non-salt inventory, out of an area that may not be tapped into yet. You know, Nashville's, Nashville's a good market, but it's maybe not a Chicago market or a, a Miami market. So, um, and, uh, you know, there's, there's other markets that we haven't tapped into. I just, like I said, I was just in Tampa, uh, an, uh, an old and uh, retired FedEx driver, truck driver, lives in that area. So I took him to the Tampa CarMax, signed him up, and showed him some, you know, same thing, went through the dog and pony show. Or you know, and he's he's all ready to buy cars for us. So um, that's so one way. The other the other thing. What was that? No, I was just saying. So, not to step on it, but real quick, when you're talking about buyers and, and having buyers in different places, or just having a buyer in your own place, help us right. smaller guys. How do we know when we're at the point where we need to have a full time buyer? Whether that's ourselves, and we're going to free ourselves from the dealership to go buy, and that's our passion or whether we don't have a passion for going to the auction, but we need to get a full-time buyer. When does it make sense? Well, you know, I've, I want to say after 20 or 30 cars of retail, I decided that I, I have a buyer. Uh, I hired a buyer that I auction the physical auctions. And uh, I always, oh shoot, can you guys hear me? No, it's his internet unstable. <laughs> like you, uh, you hear me there for a second. There you go. Okay, so I th there was a guy who I always saw working for franchise stores, and I was watching. He always had a piece of paper, and and um, he he had meticulous notes, and I just went up to him and said, "Hey, how's it going? I'm Joe. What are you doing?" And I kind of interviewed him on the spot there. Well, it turned out that the stores that he was working at uh, changed ownership, and he was looking for a job. So. Uh, you know, our friendship kind of took off from there, and uh, he, he's done a pretty good job for us. Um, but nowadays, being a buyer doesn't mean actually going to physical auctions. I actually find it to be a big waste to go to an, a physical auction. Um, I require him to kind of – he does go – he still goes to physical auctions, but not as often. Mm -hmm. I kind of want him in, in the office, kind of like the uh, – um, um, the war, the war room, we call it. So we can all talk about the purchases that we're going to make, but that, that gives him the ability to purchase from, you know, five, six, seven different platforms. And it gives us an opportunity for a uh, sales manager, me and Mike, the buyer to talk about, Hey, would this be a good car for us? And, and we all kind of put our opinions in and say, Hey, you know, you know, forget it. This got too, too many miles or it's got too many issues that we are going to have to recon on it. Um, but it's all, I also find it's a waste of time nowadays going to the physical auction. Say you go to your average physical auction is about a thousand cars. Um, you may, you may like, I don't know, 20% of them. That's 200 cars mm -hmm. out of the 200 cars. You're really going to, you're really going to drill it down to 10 cars.
cars out of those 10 cars that you give them are like or auto checks and then um you're only gonna have the, the ability to buy two of them because the rest of them either outbid or they wanted too much money so you just wasted maybe five six hours of man hours trying to buy two vehicles so that's why we we uh we don't really do a lot of the physical auction thing except for the camaraderie go there and, and, and to to stay uh keep a face out there but um the other thing for acquiring vehicles is if you're not involved with your chamber of commerce, uh, if you're not involved in some in the, some kind of groups besides the car group, okay, um, instead of car groups, business, uh, small business uh, uh, companies, and uh, you guys know what I'm talking about, like Latip. You ever heard of those? Yeah. Okay. Going to those and making connections with them. Um, and, uh, you know, we had, we had a heating and air company that called me up and said they had 13 vehicles that they needed to sell. Hmm. So perfect. We went over there. We appraised them all. I gave him a spreadsheet of what I would be able to, what a pristine one would retail for. I put what it would go for at the auction. I put how much reconditioning per, per car. And I put in the, the last one what I'm willing to pay for the vehicle. So what I did was I, I wanted to be completely transparent with him and say, hey, this car, Christine's probably a $15,000 car. However, the top of the roof looks like Godzilla walked on it. So it's, you know, it would cost me 3000 to fix this. I'm willing to buy this car for $8,000. It would probably do nine grand at the auction, but I'll buy it for eight. And we bought them all and we've been flipping them like crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's a that's a good lead in actually on that subject. I, we know you do a lot of commercial vehicles. Uh, right. Let, let, let's talk a little bit about how you got into the commercial vehicle side, and also, um, uh, what do you find that works well in your market? Because every market's different, and you know how do you how do you source? I, I hear this you sourced them this way for this particular thing. Right. What what else are you doing? Well, what, what do you want to you want to talk about? How why are we successful in commercial vehicles, or how do we acquire them? I think I think uh, successful in the commercial vehicle would be a good a good yeah. a good thing to talk about. Well, I do I do believe location 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 is a is a reason why um, we do well with them. We are in Chicagoland area. Uh, we are in a. Um, uh, I don't feel it's a well educated state <laughs> city, and I don't mean any disrespect to that. But there's a lot of laborers. There's a lot of. Um, you know, may not be able to work for somebody, but they're they're a painter, or they're a drywaller, or they're a plumber, or they're whatever. So we have a lot of uh, of self-employed individuals in this in this in the city over here. Um, so that's that's a big plus is having, uh, you know, if you if you in a city or state that really doesn't have really much tradesmen, then what's a what's a cargo van for? Um, we have a lot of companies out here. We buy the airport. We do a lot. We're at the airport. We do a lot with O'Hare. Um, you know, there's a lot of factories here in, in Chicagoland, Illinois area. Um, a lot of heating and air companies. A lot of population. So there's a lot of tradesmen out here. So I'm, I'm fortunate enough to have those fields really in my backyard and, and not too far. Um, the, the one advice that I would give to any dealer is, don't be afraid to try something out of your realm. Try something different. Um, okay, cargo vans are commercial vehicles. But guess what? If you see a street sweeper, maybe try it. 
you know, and, and, and the reason why I bring that up is last night I'm sitting on the couch and I'm looking through, I can't remember where I was looking. Um, I think it was one of those uh, uh, government agencies that are, that sells their, their, their merchant, um, their vehicles when they're done. And they had a street sweeper and I sent a message and Mike to Mike 1130 at night. And I said, I sent him the link and I said, Hey, take a look at these street sweepers. They got low miles. They seem to be reasonable. Let's give it a shot. You, you never know. Um, you know, boom trucks are pretty, pretty popular. Um, you guys are familiar with those. Those are the, for the lights and electricians. Um, I didn't realize how popular those were. We, we don't have any, any in stock. I can't find them. You have to be careful with them though, because some of them are rusty. The boom has to get tested. So you have to make sure you know what you're doing on them. Mm. Um, but don't be afraid to, to step out of your wheelhouse and, and try something different. Look at Dan Real with the, with the school buses. I don't know if you saw that on, on the independent dealer. That, that was pretty impressive. He found a niche or a market maybe for little school buses, for short buses. I don't well, mean it's well in the short bus, so, you know. So He's very familiar with them. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to go there. Yeah. Um, but, you know, so don't be afraid to do that. But the other thing is, if you acquire this inventory, you have to have a way to get out of it. Okay? Yeah. And financing is a problem. Right. A lot of banks will not touch commercial trucks. They won't even touch a Chevy Express. They won't even touch a Chevy Express, even if it has passenger seats in it, and it's called an LT. So, um, you know, that's one of, I'm happy to have that we have a source that we can use to sell the, you know, finance this, uh, these products. Well, you're, you're just leading me down the path because one of the, one of the notes I had down was to talk to you about your relationship with major lenders. I know you work with, with ally and I think you work with cap one, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. talk, talk about how you got those relationships and, and what they mean to your business. You were going into that now with the, with the ally, I assume in the commercial vehicles. So. Yeah. Yeah. Ally is a strong, strong, strong bank for commercial vehicles. Um, but, um, how did I, how did we acquire those? You know, we acquired those back. Um, we're, we're having our 10 year anniversary this year. I want to say we acquired those about eight years ago. Um, we were rather small, maybe 20, 30 cars in stock selling 15 to 18 cars a month. Um, kind of in a, small little warehouse uh, um, before we moved into our current location. And I think it was just being at the right place at the right time and also knowing the right people. Um, I worked for Chevrolet, uh, a Chevy store for five years prior to that. And uh, I always knew my ally, or at that time it was GMAC uh, rep there. And she's still with the company even through the, the changes of uh, 07 and 08. And um, I, at that time, I was able to get in. We also had Chase come in, uh, J.P. Morgan Chase. I don't know if you guys have that out there. Yeah. Uh, so we, we were fortunate enough, early enough, to have Ally, to have Chase. Um, Cap One came on maybe three years ago. Um, but we, we built a relationship with Ally. And one of the things that I, that I was always conscious about was my book of business. I always want to watch my book of business. And what I mean is how does it perform? I don't want to send Ally a bunch of paper that's going to default. Okay. Um, if, you know, if I felt that there's something a little iffy 
we didn't run it through Ally. We didn't run it at all. We made them get their own financing. As a dealer, one of the, one of the things is, is a new dealer. We're all we all want to get funded. We all want to get that approval. We want to get our money. Okay, I mean that's just our nature. But you also have to protect the interests of the people who are going to help you succeed. And the one thing with Ally, and you can ask, I, I contact my underwriter every once in a while and ask them, hey, how, how am I performing? We'll, we'll spend 30 minutes of going what my repo rates are, uh, what my um, delinquency is. And we're always at or below what the national level is. So, um, you know, and the other thing is if, if there is a repo and they need paperwork, you cooperate with them. Um, if there's a uh, buyback situation, you buy the car back. You don't sit and argue with it. You don't ignore letters. You buy the car back. Be done with it. You want to stay off the radar. So um, That's interesting, Joe. I, I had never, um, and, and you know, everybody knows what we're talking about now, that Jeff and I are, are by here, pay here stores, and we don't, you know, we try our best when we underwrite a loan to make sure that that loan is going to succeed. And, and I think it's uh, what you're talking about here is very interesting to me. I'd never even thought about the prime side of it that it, or the, the outside financing side of it, that you really still need to, to verify, you know, the customer that you're selling to and that relationship and, and make sure you're not getting cars repoed. That's, that's really interesting. I hadn't thought about that. Dead air is not good. You know, uh, <laughs> the best advice I can give is the, the dealer and your customer, your consumer, your client. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, we got you. Uh, it's got to be a marriage. You got, it's got to work together. And uh, a happy marriage is a successful marriage. And that's how it's got to be looked at with your customers, with your banks, with your vendors. Um, you know, and there's, there's trust factors in there. Um, it's not a secret. I, I think I have probably one of the best relationships with Ally. Um, we're, we're, we go out to dinner a lot. We, we communicate a lot. Uh, we communicate with the underwriters. Um, so if there's a stretch call, they'll take my word for it because they know I'm not going to stick it to them. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, so they, there's a lot, like I said, it's a marriage. You got to trust each other. Um, there has been, there's been plenty of times and you can ask my, our underwriter where I have to call an app in because consumers in front of me, I can't flat out tell them, Hey, you're not going to get approved. And the, the underwriter will call me and say, Hey, I'm on the fence with this. What's your thoughts? And I will flat out say, decline it or, you know, really think about it. And they'll hear it in my voice because the customer is in front of me and I'll, I'll do some, secretive talk of, you know, Hey, I wouldn't do this one. Yeah. That kind of thing's going to build, build trust with the underwriter that you're not always just trying yeah, to kill it vehicle or push that stuff through. Yeah. Or they just, right. I'm not, I'm not trying to push it through. Um, the other thing is people with too much debt coming in to look at a, you know, 15, 16 Escalade, and they're, you know, um, I, may, I, I may make money on it, but what good is making money on it if I know I'm going to tank this customer who's not really that smart? <laughs> you know what I mean? 
to realize that they can't afford that car. There's there's so many yeah there's so many dealers that won't do that, and that's and that's part of our job as as the car industry is to make sure that that we put the customers in the cars that they can afford and not necessarily the cars that they want. Even if you're buy your pay here, if you're prime, if whatever, you need to make sure a customer knows what they're getting into. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I've seen that several times where people have left me, they've gone down the street to the Chevrolet store and they get a $450 payment on a Chevy cruise base, come back to me a year later and want to trade out of it because they can't handle the payment. And GM Financial did buy them because GM buy, Financial buys everybody. Um, and they're buried and there's nothing I can do. And and I flat out, and I'm thinking of somebody as we're talking about this, and I flat out said, should have listened to me. Should have listened to me. Happens so, all the time. Now, you're gonna have, the time. now eventually you're going to have a repo on your record and um, they're going to come after you for a bunch of money and wh- whatever the case is and your life's miserable. So, you know, you need to, one of the things is you need to set people up to succeed. Don't set them up to fail. And, and that's, you know, sale, here's the difference between the franchisees and the independents, okay? The independents are in it for the long run, all right? We're there, we want to see our customers grow. I love the fact that, Luke, you put on your Facebook page when someone holds a title. The happiness in their face, you help them succeed. That's right. You not only did they pay off a car, but you gave them an accomplishment in life that they may never had before. So, sure. you, so you definitely, you know, helped them out. But we need as dealers, independent dealers, we want to see our customers succeed. Uh, salesmen at big franchise stores, they're there one month. They're in another Chevy store one month. They're at another Chevy store one month. They don't care. They don't know what a book of business is. Yep. So... Sorry, I think that I think we got off the point of sourcing and stuff like that. <laughs> well, no, I think I, th- I think we've hit I think we hit all the points, didn't we, Jeff? I, I think no, I think that's great. I mean, that's part of it, right? I mean, you got to source the right vehicles, but you also got to source the right customers, you know. Yeah. And and it's the marriage between the two that makes the most sense. Sure, I could sell a ton of buy here, pay here, eye candy, but I know that that's not going to run the note. I know they're not going to be happy with it, even if they do get it paid off, because my track record's shown. It's either too much car, too much payment, or it's a crappy car that's going to give them issues every other month, and they're going to hate the car, and they're going to hate me. So, right. so I think these all go hand in hand when you talk about inventory sourcing, getting the right cars for your customer. For sure. Yeah. Uh, back, back to the inventory sourcing. Um, so connect with your, your chamber of commerce, connect with some business local groups that um, get involved with them. Uh, the other connect with your local Hertz or enterprise rep. Hmm. Um, I don't know why Hertz or enterprise does not get more involved with the independent world, with the independent dealers or the NIADA. And I've mentioned it to them several times. Hey, you should, you guys should really be a partner. Uh, but they're, they're kind of like, they're not really relevant in, in the indie side. Um, Hertz has uh, vehicles that they have to sell all the time. Uh, enterprise has uh, lease turn-ins, um, uh, that, you know, but you can also purchase their off-rental vehicles. Uh, here's an interesting story. Um, I don't know, secret story, whatever it is. But Enterprise, if you connect with your Enterprise rep, okay, they send cars to the auction. Everybody knows that. Mm-hmm. Okay? 
but they're on a strict turn also. They need to turn their vehicles once they come off rental within 30 to 60 days. Those vehicles have to go. And uh, one, of the, one of the things that you can do is you can negotiate with them. You could buy that vehicle cheaper off their lot than you could at a Mannheim or Odessa. And you know why? Because they don't want to skew the MMR. So a Suburban that goes through the, through the sale and it does maybe 30,000 consistently with 20,000 miles is 30,000. They'll never sell to you at the sale for 28 grand because it's going to skew, skew the numbers. But if you buy it off the record, they'll sell to you for $28,000. Hmm. Interesting. Because yeah, it hurts the residual or it hurts the market if they, if they do the other way. Yeah, they're smart. And I, and I kind of appreciate them for that, <laughs> you know. But, um, but that's, you know, those are some other ways that you can, you can acquire vehicles. I'm not one to go on Facebook and Craigslist and offer up and start flinging offers to people. Um, it's just, it's a waste of time and whatever. At your level, that doesn't scale. That doesn't scale at all. The one-offs, the here, yeah. the money pops off. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking for the more reputable. Yeah, I'm looking for the more, right. I'm looking for the more reputable, more, um, relationship building stuff and just feed me the cars. Yeah. My question for you, Joe, is does this scale at any ACV? Because what I get nervous about and traditionally when I was buying cars for my dealership, I physically had to sit in every single one of them, you know, and I would have my Mannheim and my Odessa list and I'd have 50 and then I'd go down the night before and I'd preview them all and narrow it down to 10. And then, right. you know, because I had to physically be in them because of, they were such cheap ACVs. They were all red light. They were all this. So how did, how, is it possible for dealers like me to convert this to online and, and trust either the Mannheim market report or the, the rating or the, I mean, well, I, like my stomach turns thinking I'm going to buy a 3000 ACV on, you know, simulcast. Right. It shouldn't. It shouldn't. What's that? It shouldn't, Jeff, you're too worried, buddy. Shouldn't, that shouldn't be the case. But, but like I'm saying, I mean, I would have a short list of 50 cars and I would narrow it down to maybe 10 that were decent, maybe 10 that were anywhere decent. So if I got a one out of five chance of getting a decent car, that means four out of five are going to be total turds. And if I'm just buying them online, I that's mean, what how do reports, I win in that situation? That's what condition reports are for. Right. But, you know, there's also... Um, common sense in this whole thing okay don't be buying 150,000 mile hyundai sonatas <laughs> but if it's a toyota camry or a corolla you know feel more confident i, I would say jeff you, you need to um well there is some safe and i have to check the NAAA rule on a um as is vehicle if it has a bad engine or trans and you buy it online and it arrives to you can you still arb out of it even no. if Red light. Okay, if it was a green light though, and you didn't PSI it, and then it comes it comes through. Okay. Yeah. Um, but um, you know, uh, there's a new dealer in Illinois uh, that I was training on Monday, um, and he went to Mannheim Arena on Tuesday, and he bought a Hyundai Sonata. I think it was a 13 hybrid with 130,000 miles. He bought it red light, and trans is gone. And he calls me from the auction and says, do I have to pay for this vehicle? <laughs> Honestly. And I said, uh, yeah, you have to pay for the vehicle. And he goes, can I get out of it? I said, you can't get out of it because it's red light and that's it. 
I should have said, what are you doing about a 130,000 mile Hyundai uh, hybrid is what you should have said. Right, exactly. Um, so I said, well, I'm going to give you a little advice here. I said, well, how's the vehicle history report? The auto check, the Carfax, it's got an accident. I go, go arbitrate it for frame. <laughs> they'll, they'll find it on a unibody car. I don't know what happened from there, but, um, you know, you have to know what you're purchasing in, in those cars, Jeff. I wouldn't be buying Volkswagen Passats and Jettas with 150,000 miles for two, three thousand dollars red light. But I don't have a problem buying a Tacoma or light or stuff. I don't know what he's saying, but he's talking about junk cars. You know, you know, if you buy, if you buy, what he's trying to get across is know know what you are buying, and if there's no reason to buy a car that has. Even Chevys, man. GM product. We need to. Everyone needs to go buy more cars from Joe so that he can upgrade his internet <laughs> from dial-up uh, that he currently has to something closer to a fiber situation. That's that's so that just can both stream from being the Facebook guy. I'm surprised his internet's not better. Who knows? Maybe maybe we should just. Maybe it's time to wrap this one up, Jeff. How how does he even... Oh, he just lost... He's gone. He's gone. All right.